So it's my uh, absolute joy and privilege to be able to um, share with you this morning. And we're going to be looking at First Thessalonians chapter 5, as Cookie mentioned before. And if you've got your Bibles or you want to follow along with the screen, on the screen, why don't you turn with me to Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 24. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 24. And uh, just to set the scene for you a little bit here, the book of 1 Thessalonians was originally um, a letter, a letter written to the Thessalonian church, which the Apostle Paul founded um, with his friend Silas. Um, And historians agree that this letter was written in about 51 AD. And you can read about the origin of the church in Acts chapter 17. There's a little, there's a brief history on how the church got started. But basically, Paul and Silas, over a period of three different weekends, went and were ministering in this area in Thessalonica. And after these three weekends, um, the Bible tells us that a lot of some Jews were converted and joined the church, but a large number of Greeks um, joined the church around there. But then due to um, a lot of intense persecution at the time... Paul and Silas had to flee. Um, It wasn't safe for them to stay, so they had to flee. And it meant that a lot of these new converts at this new church were left with very little support as they were getting to grips with their faith and left in the midst of all these trials that they were going through. A few months later, after Paul heard that the church was still going strong, still alive and still well, um, Paul writes this letter to encourage these new converts in their struggles. And he writes it with the specific uh, few purposes to encourage these new converts in their struggles, in their trials, to give them some instruction towards godly living and to give them the assurance about their future as believers, especially with regard to Jesus coming back again. So with that in mind, I think it just helps give a bit of context to what we're about to read. So we're going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. And it says this, it says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those of you who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. To the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Wow, what a powerful passage that is there's so much we could look at there um 
it is a powerful portion of scripture. Does anyone own a magnifying glass? Or does anyone still have a, a, a use case for it in modern day? Anyone own a magnifying glass? One or two hands going up there. I, I feel like this is a safe space, so I'll, I'll confess to you. I'll be the first to confess that when I was younger, I used to love playing around with magnifying glasses, especially in hot weather. Especially when the sun was shining, because as I'm sure many of you know, when you get the angle right and you can focus the sun's beam into a small spot, you can actually begin to burn stuff, set some stuff on fire. I used to love um, burning ants in the garden. Come on, this this is a safe space. I'm just going to be real with you. I used to love burning slugs and bugs and all the different things in the garden. Come on, I can't be on my own there, surely. It's amazing the power of sunlight, if you get the angle right, focused into a small spot over a sustained period of time, it causes the heat and the fire. Now, in the last 10 years, an architect learnt this the hard way. In London, um, on 20, as the building in London in 2013, the building at 20 Fenchurch Street in London was nearing its completion. And then in, as, it, as it was getting ready to open in the final few weeks, uh, it was the, a major design flaw became apparent. The exterior design of the building was designed so that it'd have this beautiful sweeping curve at the side of it. But this meant that all the reflective glass windows accidentally became a massive mirror, a kind of giant lens in the sky that was able to focus sunlight into a tiny beam. Now one day, one hot summer's day, as the sun made its way across the sky, these brand new reflective windows accidentally formed what they now call the death ray that swept across London. Now it's probably not as bad as what the images you've got in your mind. Not, nothing major happened, but the estimate that the temperatures it was producing was around 90 degrees. And so some of the things that were caught in this death ray, um, for example, cars began melting. A few cars were uh, reported melting. People's bikes were reported to have melted a little bit. One barbershop reported that their welcome mat was fried, completely sizzled. Um, and yeah, in fact, there was one reporter who loved the drama of it all. And so they took the opportunity to fry some eggs on a pan. They found the, the spotlight and put their eggs on a pan and fried their eggs there. You see, focused sunlight over a sustained period of time produces the heat and the fire. And I think it's key for us to understand the importance of our thought life and what our focus is on. I heard Craig Rochelle say it like this, that he said, your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Focus is important, isn't it? You see, in moments of self-reflection, when I've looked back and thought, I didn't like the way I spoke to that person, I don't like the, way, the motives that I had behind that action... In those moments, I recognise that it can always be traced back to a misplaced focus. A focus on self instead of focus, or a focus on something that I knew was wrong. In the busyness, and in the distractedness, and in the pressures of life, particularly in the area of joy, we often find our focus scattered. But coming back to this passage of Paul's encouragement... To this church, we find this beautiful instruction, rejoice always. It's easily said, but not so 
easily done. Rejoice always. He, he calls the believers to rejoice, not occasionally, but over a sustained period of time, a lifetime that will eventually produce fruit in our lives as people who want to reflect the character of Christ and glorify his name, even in the middle of trials and uncertainty. Rejoice always. As we look at Paul and how he's trying to encourage these believers to rejoice during this tough time of their faith journey, I believe there are some timely truths that likewise can inform our ability to rejoice and help us to have joy on our journey. Observe first that having our feet at the cross gives us joy for the journey. Look with me at verse 9. It says this, it says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep... We may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. It's good to be reminded of what God's done for us, isn't it? I love the wording that's used there, that it, it was God's appointment, that salvation wasn't our initiative. We can't earn it. It's God's appointment. It's God's gift. Paul reminds us that salvation wasn't our initiative, but God's. Though we were deserving of wrath... Through our sin and our wrongdoings, God sent Jesus Christ to pay the price for our sin, to bear the wrath of God on himself, on the cross, so that we may live with him. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. It's good to be reminded because as John Andrew so brilliantly declared last week, it is central to everything we do. It's the cornerstone to everything we believe as Christians. Our ability to rejoice isn't rooted in the temporary seasons and the circumstances of life, but in the eternal, unchanging truths of God that cannot be broken. Having our feet at the cross gives us joy for the journey. I'm sure you'll agree that in life, you never know what's on the inside of you until we're shaken or until pressure is applied. Just this week um, at work, I was going into the kitchen to make a brew and I share an office with quite a few people. So at different times of the day, the milk reserves are quite low. So you have to get in there early. And uh, I came to the kitchen and I opened the fridge and the only milk that was left was a tiny little bit of red milk. (sighs) Red milk, it's it's not, it doesn't quite do it for me, red milk. But I thought I'd rather have a red milk brew than no brew. And so I began to open the the red milk and I poured it out. But what came out wasn't milk. I noticed on the lid that there was like a flaky mould on there. And as I poured out the milk, lumps fell into my tea. And the smell was revolting. It had clearly been there for a long time and the milk had gone sour. In life, you don't know what's on the inside of you until we're shaken and poured out. Life will get tough. But my prayer for myself and for us all this morning is that we wouldn't come out of the other side soured by our struggles, but instead we would come out sweetened by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The greatest miracle is salvation, and for that, we can rejoice. We hear about Jesus healing the sick. We continue to hear about God's provision. 
We hear stories of God's goodness and continued faithfulness and we'll always shout about those things. We'll always lift God up and give him the thanks and praise for those. But isn't it good to be reminded time and time again that the greatest miracle of all is salvation. When people like me, when people like you can come to Jesus Christ, can be made right before God because of Jesus' sacrifices. What a miracle. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. What's your foundation for joy this morning? Do you find it in the comfort of money? Do we find it in the validation of others? Having our feet at the cross gives us joy for the journey. I love it in the New Testament. It's no wonder that Nehemiah, he cries out to his people. He says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's a joy founded in a relationship with God and in the eternal, unchanging nature of who he is. The God who came to bind up the brokenhearted. The God who came to proclaim freedom for the captives. The God who comforts those who mourn. The God who offers beauty instead of ashes. The God who offers the oil of joy instead of the oil of mourning. And the God who offers a garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. I love what Psalm 1611 says. It says, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Wow, that's a profound verse, that one, isn't it? What a profound verse directing us that the fullness of joy isn't found in our temporary circumstance, but in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We can still have joy in the deepest valleys and in the darkest moments of suffering because God comes with us and God goes before us. I've learned that sometimes I'm so distracted, sometimes I'm so busy in the pursuit of different things in the busyness of life that I can sometimes neglect pursuing God and being in his presence. It's so easy to fall into the trap of that lukewarm faith where we're just going through the motions. But can I encourage you, don't let your passion for God grow cold this morning. Don't quench the Spirit's fire as we read in that passage before. Refuse to go through the motions of worshipping, serving and things like that. But let's stir our hearts again. Let's stir our hearts afresh, fan into flames that passion for God. There's an old song that we used to sing and it said, you can have all of this world but give me Jesus. You see, Isaiah said it like this. He says, we have a wonderful counsellor, an everlasting father, and a mighty God. But sometimes if we're not careful and if we get so busy, we can miss the wonderful. We can overlook the everlasting. We can miss the master, God. With all the crazy news of life that we're hearing in the headlines these days, let it be the good news of Jesus Christ that's on our lips and that's on our hearts and that determines our thoughts. Our joy comes first and foremost from our salvation in Jesus Christ. Having our feet at the cross gives us joy for the journey. Following that, having eyes of faith gives us joy for the journey. I love the simplicity of verse 16. It simply just says, rejoice always. You see, joy is is different from happiness. Happiness takes its origin from a word used to describe fate, luck, and chance. 
Happiness is therefore subject to our happenings. What happens in our surroundings, how we feel, what's happening to us, what's going on around us. But joy is a choice and comes from having proper order in our perspective. Having eyes of faith gives us joy for the journey. Is anyone familiar with um, Michelangelo's work? Anyone know much of his stuff? I'm sure you've all have heard of him before. Um, Michelangelo, as you know, he was the famous sculptor and artist. And one time when he was a few weeks away from finishing his famous statue of David, he was putting his final touches on when the mayor, uh, when the mayor of Florence, who was the one who commissioned him to do the work, came in to the studio. Now, fancy himself a bit of a, a, an art connoisseur. The, the mayor of Florence looked at the statue, and while he admitted that the statue was magnificent, magnificent the nose, he said, was a bit too big. And, he, and so he told Michelangelo. So Michelangelo realised that his, um, he was standing in a place that was right under the figure, and he didn't have the proper perspective to admire it as he should. So without saying a word, he, he gestured for the mayor to come and follow him. So he took him up the scaffolding, took him towards the nose, and he picked up a chisel, and he scooped up a bit of the dust that was left behind from the marble. With the mayor just a few feet behind him, he began tapping on the nose very lightly and releasing a bit of the dust that was in his hand. He wasn't actually doing anything to the nose. He just wanted to give the appearance of it. And after a few minutes of, of messing around of this acting, he took a step back and he said to the mayor, what do you think of it now? And the mayor says, wow, yeah, I really like it better. He says, you've really made it come alive. Nothing changed, but it was a fresh perspective. And friends, we, we can't control everything that happens to us, but with eyes of faith... We can allow God to help us to see things come alive. We can get God's vision for our, for, our, for our lives. We can get God's vision for light, even in the midst of darkness. In the, book of in the book of James, we're challenged with this passage in chapter one. It says this, it says, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Having eyes of faith gives us joy for the journey. We can't control what happens to us, but we can control what happens in us. And as we surrender our hearts and our lives over to God's will and God's way, by his grace he works all things together for good and his glory whether the situation changes or not. I like to remember it like this, that vision gives pain a purpose. Vision gives pain a purpose. What areas in your life do you need to have a fresh perspective on this morning? How would your attitude change for that situation if you had eyes of faith? How would our interactions with people be different if we saw them as God sees them? people made in the image of God. Can we, can we agree to be a church that has eyes of faith? Can we agree to be a community of people that always look to pursue God's perspective for Bolton, for, for this church, for the different areas that we come from? God, open our eyes to see the opportunities, to see the circumstances, to see people the way you see them. 
Having eyes of faith gives us joy for the journey. A few years ago, I went through an intense season of having panic attacks after panic attack. And as horrible as it was, I began to see God turning it into an opportunity for me to draw nearer to him. It led me to my knees in prayer, in worship, and in knowing his word. And it was building that endurance and perseverance, as James says. The panic attacks were more frequent than I was praying for. They lasted longer than I was praying for. The dread of having them stayed with me longer than I prayed for. But it was a blessed time because I realised now that I, could, I was pushed on to stand on the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. And his grace I was, it was enough to sustain me through that. And I was able to keep my joy. Paul, 10 years after writing these words we're reading, Rejoice Always, he found himself in prison for the work that he was doing for God. And even from a prison cell... He wrote a letter to a church in Philippi and he declared, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And that's from a prison cell. With all that was going through, with all that was going on, with all that he was going through, he saw God's vision for his work and it filled him with a joy. And our greatest example, Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's Hebrews 12. He he saw the cross. He saw the, the pain. He saw the beatings. He saw himself being spat at and humiliated. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He saw people like me and people like you coming into his family, every tribe and every tongue being adopted into his family. We don't get to control what happens to us, but we can control what happens in us. We can choose to adopt God's perspective and live in God's vision. Having our feet at the cross gives us joy for the journey. Having eyes of faith gives us joy for the journey. And finally, having hearts set on eternity gives us joy for the journey. The band can come back up. Look with me at uh, verse 23. It says this, it says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Again, I love how the emphasis is all on God's work there. May God himself, the God of peace, the one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. We do serve a faithful God this morning. But what a wonderful passage that is is to end our little study on there. Now, sanctify you through and through. It's a very very Christian term, that, isn't it? Um, it's It's an interesting term. But the idea behind the word sanctify there is set apart. One commentator describes it like this. It said, to make something different and distinct, breaking old associations and forming a new association. And so the phrase as a whole, it carries with it this idea of being set apart, being holy and fully 
set apart to the end, reaching God's intended goal. For example, um, like there are many dresses worn on many occasions at many different times, but a wedding dress is set apart for a special day and a special purpose. And likewise, God wants us to be set apart for him. God has a plan and a purpose for you. I don't know how uh, badly you think you've messed up. I don't know how bad you think you are or, or what you know, the things that you've done, but God's grace is enough. It's enough for me and it's enough for you. So therefore, none of us can boast. It's not, we can't earn anything. It's, it's all down to God and his grace. When we say yes to God, he sets us apart for his work to, uh, that's to be done before Jesus returns. There's people to love. There's captives to be set free. There's darkness to be confronted. There's disciples to be made. And as we strive to reach that intended goal of God, that intent, that goal to reach to the end for our lives as individuals, as a church, and as a community, God gets all the glory. What a joy it is to consider that whether in our generation or a generation to come, Jesus will return and establish his kingdom once and for all. Having our hearts set on eternity gives us joy for the journey. In Romans, Paul says it like this. He says, I consider that these present sufferings are not worth comparing to the joy that will be, to the glory that will be revealed in us. The one who called you is faithful and he will do it. And we can be confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Having our hearts set on eternity gives us joy for the journey. Life isn't always easy. But as we look at how Paul is trying to encourage this church, this group of believers to rejoice even during a tough time on their faith journey, I believe there are some timely truths that inform our ability to rejoice and help us to have joy for the journey. Having our feet at the cross gives us joy for the journey. Having eyes of faith gives us joy for the journey. And having hearts set on eternity gives us joy for the journey. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much, God, for for who you are, Lord. We so grateful to to stand here, Lord, in your presence. You said that in this life we will have many troubles, but we can take heart because you have overcome the world. And so God, with hopeful hearts, with faith-filled hearts, Lord, we pray that you would help us retain our focus on your goodness and your grace, that our joy would be rooted in you and that we'll be able to withstand the struggles of life because you are with us. God, we pray that you'd give us a fresh focus and a fresh passion for you and your cause. Lord, will you fill us afresh with the fire of the Holy Spirit as we look to build your kingdom and glorify your name. God, we pray that as we, that we would know the powerful reality of having the joy of the Lord as our strength. And so God, with grateful hearts, with hopeful hearts, we give you thanks and praise. Just still with every head bowed and eye closed. You might be in church this morning or watching online for the first time or maybe you've been here for the hundredth time. But God is calling us to put our life into his hands and to follow him. And all God requires from us is a wholehearted yes to that call. 
So whether you're kind of making this decision for the first time or whether this is a, a, another time of getting your faith back on track, saying yes to God is about saying sorry for the things that we've done and keeping him for the things we're keeping him out of our life. Saying yes is about bringing our feet to the cross, like we've talked about, recognising that God sent Jesus Christ, on his son, to die on the cross for us so that we can be forgiven. Saying yes to God is about turning away from living life our way and asking God to help us live life his way. It's like we're saying a big yes to God. So if that's you, just in the quietness of your own heart right now, why don't you just say that yes to God? Maybe you're here today and you're saying that you're not ready to say a big yes to God. But you know that you, you, you feel the nudge to kind of look more deeply into Christianity. Why don't you make that intentional decision right now to say, I'm going to take the next step to find out more. It's like you're saying a little yes. You might be saying it to God or you might be just saying it to yourself. You're going to make that little yes, that little commitment to say, I'm going to take the next step to find out more. So why don't, if that's you, why don't you just say that little yes in the quietness of your own heart right now? Or maybe you're here today and you're saying, I'm not ready to say a big yes or a little yes, but you're still willing to be open-minded about God. If that is you, can I just ask you to continue to remain open-minded about God, be open to understand and explore what's going on? It's like you're saying, maybe there is something in this. And so I'm simply asking you not to say a big yes or a little yes, but a healthy maybe. A healthy maybe is that willingness to stay open-minded about God and Christianity. So if you've made one of those decisions today, whether it's a big yes, a little yes, or a healthy maybe, we would love to support you on your next steps and help you in that and uh, help you discover what's next. So if you're in the room and you've made one of those decisions at the end of the service why don't you just come and we've got some little a little gift to give you that can help you in that next step and if you're online we'd love to hear from you so put it in the chat or you can email us and we'd love to work with you and see how we can help you in that next step so God we thank you for for every person in this room Lord for anyone that's made a decision God we pray that you'd protect them Lord will you keep them will you guide them and Lord will you continue to to reveal yourself to them in the way that only you can Lord we give you thanks and praise for all that you're doing in us and through us and we lift your name up high so in Jesus name we pray amen